Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to RIA Edge. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And we are very excited to have Regan Ray, the co-CEO, Managing Principal, and Senior Investment Advisor at Arnrick Messina join us here today out of Portland, Oregon, our, our first guest from Portland. Regan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I'm very excited to be here today. Now, you have an amazing story that is different from a lot of the other guests that we've had here on RIA Edge. When we talk about growth, we cover a lot of ground, but so much of you know what we've covered over the last year or so has been about m and I mean, it just dominates the headlines in the RIA industry at, 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 at a good portion of the year. Um, but you've had some tremendous growth without, without having to do major acquisitions, right? So I, I cannot wait to get into the weeds. But <laughs> before we do that, I think it'd be really important, Regan, if you wouldn't mind just giving a brief introduction to your firm for those uh, listeners that may not be familiar and a little bit of the history and how you've gotten to where you are as one of the largest and fastest growing RAs in the business. So please tell us about Arnrich Sure. So Arnrich Messina was started in 1991 uh, by Tony Arnrich and Lisa Messina. And I think from the very beginning, one thing that made us really unique as an RIA is that we served three different client types. So we worked with retirement plans, endowments and foundations, and high net worth individuals and families. And that model served us well for a really long time. Up until about uh, 10 years ago, which is when I came to the firm, we really started to realize that the ability to serve three different clients meant that we had to, from an internal perspective, uh, essentially have three different platforms um, and service models that had very differing needs as well as skill sets and expertise from a staffing standpoint. So we started on a journey to really identify what is our best, highest use from a value standpoint in terms of the types of clients that we serve best. And after we did a lot of sort of internal dialoguing and soul searching, we realized that we offer and we are the most unique with multi-generational wealth, so high net worth families, as well as endowments and foundations. Um, we specialize on discretionary client services, um, alternatives, so hedge funds, private equity, private real estate. And those, those two client types, high net worth and endowment and foundations, have a very sort of perfect overlap of internal resources. So we, we went down the path of selling our retirement plan business, which you know we just recently wrapped up in 2021. 
So where we are today, we are, we are specialized in high net worth and endowments and foundations. And that also along the way, we had our founder who was, um, we needed to structure a buyout for him. And I'm sure as other uh, RIA guests have maybe uh, shared in the past, it's a very challenging thing in our industry to honor founders or previous generations of equity owners because the, that traditional financing model doesn't really apply to a service-oriented company, right? We don't have tangible assets to collateralize for external financing. And I think the industry is evolving and there are options out there. Mm -hmm. However, when we did this five years ago, we didn't really have our internal house in order to where some of those options were really beneficial to us. And so we went into this journey of sort of transacting our own internal buyout. So it, it took a lot of work. And um, I'm very proud of the fact that at the end of 2021, um, we were able to secure um, outside financing. We were able to honor and pay our founder. We are 100% employee owned and operated. We were able to maintain our independence, which is a huge part of our offering to our clients. And I think we have really built a solid foundation to build from this point forward. So I'm really excited about the, the growth initiatives of the company moving forward. I appreciate that. And I think one, uh, I, I should correct myself. I said you hadn't engaged in M&A when you've clearly sold off the retirement business and you did an internal transaction. So that is M&A, uh, but you're not acquiring growth, right? In the way that right. a lot of firms are right now. Um, and two, the way you just kind of walk through what can sometimes be called, you know, the founder's dilemma, right? Mm -hmm. um, is you know, really important. And I think something that, you know, the vast majority of our listeners are thinking about, if not working on, uh, and your point about you know, getting your house in order, um, not only does it help the business now, right, but it just sets you up to do so many other things, right? Uh, and you're on a straight path, right? You can distribute equity, better alignment of interest, and I'm sure we'll get into all of that. So thank you for framing the conversation. I think it's really interesting and very consistent with the types of conversations that I know large RA firms are having internally, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we may not always be able to have the opportunity to share. Um, so with that, as, as you, you think about growth and you mentioned, you know, where you're focusing for the future and a more defined view of your you know, ideal client and client types, can you just talk about how you actually think about growth? Um, and essentially, uh, are there you know, certain you know, emphasis, areas of emphasis, whether it's you know, your existing clients or acquiring new clients that you think will fuel, fuel your growth moving forward? Sure. Well, growth is always part of our strategic plan for every year. We start the year really looking at, you know, what do we want to achieve this year from a growth standpoint and how do we want to go about it? So it is always a primary focus for us. And as a 30-year firm, we've been very fortunate to have 
experience really healthy growth year over year, um, typically in the seven to 10% range. And we, how do we do that is really through existing client growth, as well as new client acquisitions. Because we've worked with these legacy multi-generational wealth families, sort of by default, we've had to become experts in working with different generations. So that's been an area that we've been very successful in and have received a lot of referrals from existing clients, you know, who have peers that need the same sort of, you know, needs, goals, objectives. Mm -hmm. So that's been a, a great area of growth for us, as well as just having dedicated resources within the firm that are really focused on sourcing new client relationships. Just on that final point, that was a question I was eventually going to ask, but while we're on the subject, what are those dedicated resources? I've seen some firms that, you know, they just spread it across the whole team or individual advisors, some that have business development officers. And I'm very curious, one, how you have resourced it and what the specific positions are, and two, how it's played out. Sure. Well, in my 10 years at Arnish Messina, we've done all of the above. We've had individual advisor goals. We've had team goals. Both can be successful. And at the time that I was hired in 2011, we also brought in, we created and brought in a dedicated business development officer. And the role of that uh, BD Um, position is really centered on working and identifying strategic partnerships, really focusing on centers of influence and getting really clear about who they are. Do they understand our client profile, understand our value proposition, who can be a great brand ambassador for us and vice versa. And those you know, when I talk with other RAAs uh, in the industry, one thing that's very key with these business develop- development positions is you really have to give it time. It's not an overnight, you know, flip the switch and these new relationships are going to be coming to you. It takes a lot of time to nurture and grow those centers of influence and other strategic partners. So we realize that going in. And it really took four or five years until we started to see an ROI on those dedicated initiatives. So that's been really key. I think the other thing that's really important is outside of uh, the business development position, we incent our advisors and our shareholders to actively contribute to the success of our growth year over year. So it's part of our compensation structure. It's part of what we measure in terms of individual contribution. And I think it's just a cultural understanding that um, we can't leave it to just one individual that we all need to contribute. So what that can look like is, for example, we ask that all of our shareholders um, have a sort of external 
um, view in terms of engagement in the community, whether that's sitting on nonprofit boards or attending um, specific events. And so it's, we're not measuring it in terms of dollars brought in. We're more focused on the behavior that will drive that ultimate, you know, end uh, goal being new revenue. Excellent. I appreciate that. I have to say I'm familiar with a lot of firms that have dedicated business development officers or specialists, but not this is the first time I'm actually hearing about one that is more focused on you know, relationship COIs, um, you know, referrals, than actually going out and you know, acquiring clients. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because it, I've heard mixed things about these types of roles. You know, I've seen instances where you know, I had in my consulting you know, career, you know, some firms where they had a business development specialist, they'd go out, they'd acquire clients. And then as soon as they were signed the paperwork, they were transitioned to another advisor in the firm. And it kind of felt like a bait and switch. Like I bought you, not the business, right? Um, so I think, you know, what you have just mapped out yeah, is a great example for our audience to just listen to and learn from. Uh, it also sounds like just the way you're talking about compensation and the team you know, approach, it, growth is part of your DNA. And it's not just something that you've given to a single person there. So I appreciate you walking through you know, your structure, but also five years, right? That's a long time. Um, it is. There are very few industries where salespeople have five years to show a return. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I think they are also uh, responding to, you know, inquiry of potential new clients and, and, playing a big role in that sales process. But we learned to avoid the issue that you brought up, that bait and switch. We learned really early on, oh, this person is really good from a sales standpoint. We also need to be introducing whoever that primary advisor is going to be very early on in the sales process so that there's more of an organic natural transition Mm -hmm. when the BD officer needs to sort of step away. But the other thing that they do, and I'm glad you brought that up, is they also play sort of a relationship management function for clients within the firm. So every year we uh, publish a pretty substantial client satisfaction survey. It goes out to all clients. So they have the ability to comment on what we're doing well, what they want to see us do better. But the BD officer also, through feedback from advisors, will make an effort to call specific clients, maybe that we know uh, we could be doing a better job at or might be at at risk, um, and just spending the time getting feedback from clients. And so we view that BD role sort of as a neutral position where a client might be more open and willing to provide feedback versus their advisor themselves, that feels a little more personalized and targeted. So that also makes them, uh, improves, I believe, their ability to focus on that ideal client and give all of our team feedback on what we can be doing better. So it's not just growth oriented, it's also very relationship focused. Because yeah. that's what we're in, right? The relationship industry. Definitely, especially when you talk to you know, the multi-generational you know, clients that you have, right? It becomes even that much more important. And I do also want to go back to 
the growth rates that you mentioned earlier. Um, we're actually in the process right now of developing an RI Edge research study. So we'll be launching it next week, uh, the week of the January 24th. It'll be out in the field for a while. And one of the things that we're really looking to understand are the growth targets and expectations um, and what's good. Um, I think it varies at every firm. You mentioned 7 to 10% is sort of typical. And um, just to clarify, is that excluding market appreciation? That's all organic, true organic growth? Yes, that's net yeah. new revenue. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you measure right, uh, success right, from a growth perspective, right? especially you know, in your market, which may be you know, niche or narrow? Um, you know, 7 to 10% annually sounds great, um, but how, did, how do you measure your growth rates relative to the opportunity in your market? Sure. Well, I think we have learned a lot in the last year One thing that we did last year for the first time is we hired a valuation specialist to help us through a formula of valuing the firm. And we learned a lot through that process of working with that partner. And one thing that they brought to our attention is, you know, if we were going to engage in an M&A conversation in the future and when we bring on new partners or retire current partners, knowing what our valuation is and how that is viewed through those different lenses is really important. And they also provided us with sort of targets for margin. And so that brought to our attention areas that we really need to focus on moving forward. So, you know, top line growth is really important. Managing your operating expenses is the other component of that, which in our industry, the majority of our annual expenses is going to be in compensation because Mm -hmm. we all have highly compensated individuals in our advisors and other executives. So managing those two to drive towards a margin margin target was very eye-opening for us where we're like, oh, okay, so now we're coming at this from a whole different angle. And um, so that's another way that it's like, okay, now we need to get our house in order from this standpoint, which is very critical to how we're going to be tracking or validating our success for the next few years. Yeah. We, we also um, participate in as many peer group benchmark studies we can. So I'm very uh, interested in, in the one that you just mentioned. Um, our custodian is Schwab. So we participate in the Schwab benchmarking study annual. The valuation specialist that we worked with also has their own study that they're you know pulling information from all of their other client sources. So I think it's just being aware of what's going on in the industry and how someone from an outside perspective would be viewing your balance sheet is really important for us. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, it isn't just about you know, growth. Um, it's about you know, where do you want to go um, and what what's the desired outcome, right? And if you're managing towards you know, a specific target, right? A, a specific 
uh, income that you're looking to generate, it, it becomes a very different equation. And having produced benchmarking studies for 10 years of my life, uh, it, it makes me feel very happy inside to hear that you have an appreciation for it. So um, we'll be sure to share more with you on the RIA EDGE study um, and our audience and our listeners as it develops. Um, I am curious, as you're kind of looking uh, and you're looking at you know, 2022 and beyond, where do you see you know, your growth coming from moving forward? I mean, you, do you see yourself getting into new markets? Do you see yourself potentially doing M&A at some stage? Um, what's your view on the, the growth opportunities that are ahead for you in the firm? I would say all of the above that you just okay. mentioned. So we have one physical office currently, which is here in Portland. However, our clients are all over the country. So we have pockets of clients in Minneapolis and on the East Coast, in Florida, in California. We have these hubs. And so one thing we're looking at this year is, should we open sort of a second footprint in one of these areas that we've been pretty successful in, but have never really had a dedicated um, resource to grow in that market. So that's one thing we're thinking about. We are, we have created some of our own products historically. So we had a private equity fund. Uh, We created our own access vehicle. So a, a hedged fund of funds. We do not collect the underlying management fee on that currently, but it's one thing that we have thought about is, you know, we have a phenomenal research and analytics team. Is this something we could also be doing is creating opportunities for um, accredited and qualified investors and be marketing that to clients who are not within Arnrich Messina, could that be another revenue stream for us? So that's a conversation we're currently having, um, as well as being open to opportunities uh, within M&A on both sides of the transaction. So mm-hmm. are we open to being acquired by another firm? Um, are we should we be looking for advisors with a really healthy book of business to fold into our company? I think we're finally at that point where we feel ready to engage in that conversation because from a governance standpoint, we feel like we're finally there and we have an understanding of what we're looking for. And I think that the one thing that is sort of our North star in that, in those conversations of MA, is that first and foremost, our clients have to benefit from it in some way, shape, or form. Secondly, our, we want our staff to benefit from it. And then lastly, our shareholders. And I think that's a unique dynamic because I think most RAs go in it from, is this going to benefit the shareholders? And then my clients and then my staff. And so, that might, and we're very aware of it, rule out a big percentage of those conversations. But I don't know. I think we're just coming at this for the first time with sort of a level of curiosity, like what is out there? What is available to us? Uh, what are we, you know, we know what we're looking for, but now who would engage in that conversation with us? Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I would say, 
it's interesting being a third party that gets to observe all of it. Um, there are more options than ever before for RIAs. Right Absolutely. Now. You, you talked about the financing sources earlier, um, and then even looking at on the M&A side of things, um, not only are there more you know, professional buyers, potentially more sellers than ever, but you have in-between solutions, right? You have mm-hmm. the minority investors, right? And they all offer different things. Um, and the more growth you have, right? And the more scalable your business, the more options you have. So clearly you've done the work um, and deserved all the options. So congratulations on getting to the point that you are now. <laughs> A lot of difficult decisions ahead, but that's the fun part, I think, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so before we wrap up um, this episode of our age, I did want to ask you, we've covered a lot um, and you've given us some very good detail and insights into your strategy and how you think about growth. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should? I think it's very common that RIAs remain sort of in silos or vacuums where the sharing of information from one peer to the next sometimes can feel like, well, I can't, I'm not going to share my secret sauce because Mm -hmm. what if they take it from me? What if I lose my competitive advantage? So I feel that that can sometimes, you know, sometimes ideas are worth spreading and sharing so that we can grow and evolve. And so I think one thing, at least from our perspective, you know, being in Portland, Oregon, is how do you find out about opportunities in the M&A space? And we've asked questions to certain partners and resources that we have. And usually what I hear is, well, it's all, it's usually it works well if you have a relationship, if you've identified, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. But, you know, I would be curious to learn from you and from your perspective and conversations that you've had from other listeners, you know, where are firms going to initiate the conversations or say, Hey, we have a shingle out where we're looking to be merged or acquired or acquire advisors. Yeah. There, there's no single path, but um, it's usually one of two ways or three. You mentioned one being the relationships. Um, yeah. There are you know, so many you know, professional buyers now um, that have dedicated deal teams and they are effectively doing as much outreach as humanly possible um, to high quality firms because it's a limited supply. So a lot of M&A activity could just be initiated by that. Um, But I would say there are a handful, not a lot, uh, maybe about a half a dozen investment banking firms that are specialists and they know the business as well as anyone um, inside and out, but they also know the market um, and they have a true understanding of what the difference is between a high quality RA and one that may have the same assets under management, similar looking financials, right? But the growth potential will be different at the two firms. So, you know, I would say to, to anyone who's thinking about that M&A journey, um, do your homework. Um, not hard to find. There are you know, six or seven firms that specialize in RIA, M&A, um, and, I, and it's a, a difficult thing to do on your own. Um, yeah. You not only need that outside expertise, but you need a, a coach who can kind of manage you through the process keep you, you know, from getting too distracted by the deal process, right? And mm-hmm. still running a great business and make sure that in the end, the priorities you mapped out before 
is it good for the clients? Is it good for the staff? Is it good for the shareholders? Right, those priorities stay in that order um, because the deal making process has its own energy um, and things can change very very quickly. So mm-hmm. um, I appreciate you ending on that note. I appreciate you asking that question. It's a great question, um, and you know we're happy to you know, share additional thoughts with you and other listeners if anybody has any questions about you know, some specific firms and areas of expertise out there that we can help with. Uh, but Regan, thank you so much for stopping by RIA Edge. I have to say, this is exactly the type of conversation I was hoping for. Um, it's also exactly the type of conversation that we'll be holding at our main event, um, Wealth Management Edge and within our RIA Edge community um, later this year, the event May 31st through June 3rd in Hollywood, Florida. Um, and we certainly like to keep you and our listeners posted on that. This is a great example of how you build a high quality business that has a number of options and opportunities in front of you. So Regan, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome, Mark. And I was lovely to be here and to meet you. And I look forward to staying connected with you in the future. Same here, Regan Ray. Appreciate it once again. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to this episode of RIA Edge. Again, my name is Mark Bruno. We appreciate you all uh, logging on, downloading this, and we ask you to subscribe to RA Edge so you can get notifications and alert of every new episode that comes out. Again, on behalf of Informa Connect and Wealth Management, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of RIA Edge. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RAA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RAA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.